Welcome back to the Twin Geekcast. One, uh, what are we? One thirty-nine. Uh, One thirty-nine. Elderly in our in our uh, podcast run. Um, we're here with a special guest, um, David Punch, who uh, hasn't been on too many episodes with me in the last month. Yeah, uh, it's, welcome, uh, David we, Punch. We, we've been missing each other a little bit, haven't we? Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, we had a lot of going back and forth. I hope that uh, you you weren't too impressed with any of the alternate hosts there. I know you had a couple of people you were considering replacing me with. That Matt guy, certainly, uh, he was impressive. Yeah, um, yeah, that Matt Farley, I'm very impressed with him. I think we might just bring him in every week. If, if, he'll, if he'll be with us, I think yeah. that'll be a good. Uh, I was yeah. I was feeling a little hot on the collar when I was hearing him. I'm like, oh, man, this guy's he's, he's a little too good for, for us here. I, I have a better step up my game when I get back. <laughs> um, and I'm going to uh, test something new, uh, replacing you with a potential guest, um, Jesse. Uh, who is um, the Johnny Greenwood to my Tom York, the uh, kid <laughs> B of the Twin Geek cast. We brought him in uh, every year for the last couple of years. We've uh, done Halloween for four years straight total. Well, uh, it's our very own karma police. It's Jesse. You know, that reminds me. Um, I listened to this album today from this band. I'm not sure if you've heard of them or not, but they're called uh, Rot- Rot- Radiohead. Radiohead. Yeah, I've, I've heard Radiohead. That's a talking head song. <laughs> yes, that is a Talking Heads song, and I just listened to your all's Talking Heads podcast, actually. Oh, you have? Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, so what we're doing today, we're ranking all of the Radiohead albums. With, uh, <laughs> <Jesse>. <laughs> no, we're, uh, we're just focusing on Kid A specifically. We're going to run down Kid A and uh, give our assessment of it. We did uh, Hilda the Thief last year, which is my personal favorite Radiohead album, because it's like a blend of their, like, software work with like going back to the rock and roll of the first record uh but uh kid a is part of the break between that like we had amnesia kid a they're doing a combined release this year so it seems like a mm-hmm. fitting time to come to it it's like kid amnesiac yeah they're calling it very clever uh, radiohead uh look yeah. at them only radiohead could come up with that <laughs> and people that aren't radiohead fans would never understand you know no. <laughs> what <laughs> Would you say that uh, we're the worst part of Radiohead fandom is that uh, the fans themselves are what would turn anyone away from... uh, I mean, this band is so innovative and accessible. Like, there's no obvious reason. It's not like Tool where I'm like, okay, I I like Tool, but uh, I'm I'm not going to do the hard sell on, like, family and shit. Like, if people like Tool, they like it. I'm not going to be one of those guys. But with Radiohead, I really want everyone to listen to it. So am I the problem? Uh, Yeah, it's kind of like... Being an evangelical, you know, <laughs> just you're you're constantly pushing your beliefs. Uh, so Kid A is actually uh, my favorite album. Oh, it band. is it? Okay. Yeah, I'm you know one of those hipsters. You know, I saw Pitchfork had it as like their greatest album, so I have to say it's mine. Mm-hmm. Aren't they like a okay computer? Isn't that like their spearheading movement? Is okay computer is the greatest album of all time? Or are they also on the Kid A train? Probably both. Yeah. Have you not read their Kid A review? Oh, I have. Yeah, they're they're yeah. magnificent. Yeah, just out there. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't remember what it was, but it was it's like the most pretentious thing you've ever heard in your life. But it's also the greatest. Um, it it's, was like uh, that author on Pitchfork specifically. He always wrote like reviews as interviews and as like experimental essays, seeing what he could get away with, um, because they were all just like white young kids out of college, and uh, they thought they could kind of do anything. So they had this like very heteronormative. Uh, white like view of music but they got to like celebrate and inflate bands like radiohead and really get away with it so it was a beautiful time in music blogging oh i had never seen a shooting star before as well. 
Oh yeah. Other of you Let's... starts right. <laughs> I've never seen a shooting star before. 25 years of rotations passes through a comet's path and travel and travel. But where's the where's the big one at? Uh, we can always edit this podcast. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to edit this part out. Unlike this Pitchfork review, which uh, nobody edited, um, this podcast could receive edits. Um, it's uh, Brent uh, Descorzino, I think is his name. I, I think he went and wrote for some TV shows or something. I, he's just really? making trouble on Twitter right now. I don't know if he's still actively writing. Dave, are you familiar with this review at all? No, no, I, I can't say that I am, honestly. Uh, or just this this whole discussion in general. Uh, I don't. <laughs> I, I I'll say this: I've never felt closer to Pavlos in my life than at this very moment. <laughs> all right, but here's the quote: the the big one: the experience and emotions tied to listening to Kid A are like witnessing the stillborn birth of a child while simultaneously having the opportunity to see her play in the afterlife on IMAX. (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. I mean, it's so beautifully just some summation of what Kid A does. Uh, Yeah, I had never seen a shooting star before. It's just the (laughs) all-time classic Pitchfork opening that explains everything Pitchfork is and what they do for Radiohead. Yeah, I uh, I try not to to actually get back to what I think about it. Um, like I've tried not to say it's my favorite, but I'm just there's something about it that draws me into it. Just the the opening of everything is right place. They got that that Prophet Five sequencer, you know, yeah. s- sequencer, synthesizer, <laughs> sequencer. Yeah, a sequencer. <laughs> this is why that, Jesse is replacing David because uh, he yeah. can't pronunciate anything either. So. Mm-hmm. Just going on, just the experimentation. And uh, um, Kid A is also a name of like one of uh, Tom York's synthesizers. I think the album name itself is like meaningless, but that was just a software like in his program, and it was just titled <laughs> Kid A. So uh, it is like pulling from like an analog like form of of different synthesizers and going into lesser rock sound, more experimental for Radiohead. Mm-hmm. And even the way they they did the lyrics, you know, they just wrote random stuff down, cut them up, <laughs> like drew them out of a hat. Lines yeah. like uh, cut the kids in half. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it has like a whole energy unto itself. I mean, among even the Radiohead canon, I think it is uh, cinematically unique. Like it has such a big picture and it has like fades and instrumentation that sounds like it would only be in a cinematic soundtrack. Uh, one of the mm-hmm. songs, even motion picture soundtrack, like it's literally telling you like what it's about. And um, a lot of the... Uh, weird instrumentation and playing with like the timbre of the sound like they're playing a lot with color and uh no notation like they're uh I, I guess you'd call it also word painting like tom york's doing a lot of word painting and matching you know how he's uh pronunciating words into the songs and that goes into the sequence and they're all out of sorts with like time signatures right like there's like mm. complex numerical puzzles this is why people hate radiohead fans what yeah. we're doing here <laughs> what i'm yeah. saying here is every reason you could hate them um yeah a lot how, of lots of syncopation yeah. and whatnot right and like how to disappear completely you have um oh my god it's interesting because you have like the time signatures and they're like out of sorts but then the guitar will start and then that's on a whole different time signature that it takes like 50 measures for that to like match up with what we started with originally so like in your head you're like keeping track of these different imbalances of the sound yeah how to disappear completely is probably my favorite thing they did i think it's one of the most beautiful songs ever and it's a 
they the synth that they used on that uh, i believe it's called an Onez martinet and it's like this vintage you know from back in the day synth like you won't even take it out on tour or anything and uh it has has this droning effect throughout the whole song and then in the second course you know it just ramps up he starts going a little bit wild with it on the vocals and yeah, David, you're missing out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, eventually you might you might even find that the signatures never meet up. Like they they introduce things and in parts of songs. Uh, of course, like two plus two equals five is my favorite because you have like the two measures and then you have measures equaling five in his voice, and then you have the two and the five put together and like Radiohead's going in like three different directions at once, and your brain's like trying to process how that works. Like they have songs mm-hmm. built out of multi-layered songs like in themselves, like the chorus, it's not always like, you know, verse, chorus, verse, like they, they have a, like a whole new format. Sometimes they'll end with the chorus or they won't have one like it uh, in a Radiohead yeah. song. Sometimes every word is a chorus. Like a uh, idiot tech. Yeah. For an, as an example, you know, it was just built around that sample. And I'm now that you said, I'm trying to think of a chorus and you know, it's, <laughs> There's not. Yeah, it's but, it's all like a, a it's either a long verse or it's all a chorus or it's all a bridge that doesn't go to a chorus or a verse. It's really hard to tell. Yeah, I hope Pavlos listens to this. <laughs> <laughs> this is a Pavlos dream. This is his real dreamcast. Let's say that. <laughs> um, there's a. We're also starting a music podcast that will launch a few days after this one. So I wanted to do a little oh, yeah? music talk too. Yeah, we're going to go through. Um, all the infamous rap albums, starting with the uh, Tribe Called Quest, The Low End Theory, going oh. to Jay-Z's Blueprint, and uh, doing that with our friend Kev, uh, new to the site, uh, new to our community, but uh, it should be fun. We're looking at um, all the rap albums that XXL and The Source rated either three letters or five mics, so, uh, just oh, a nice. small plug for a really cool thing we're doing. Do you have a name for that one yet? Yeah, three letters and five mics. It'll be out on Spotify on Monday, so. I'll, I'll listen to it. Look at that. You sold me. Yeah. And it'll go toward your uh, last FM count. So that's good. Uh, you'll get the whole song if you're on Spotify as a member. If you're not a member of Spotify, it's exclusive to that service. So uh, you'll, I think you'll get like 30 seconds of each song if you're not a, a paid member, but it's still accessible, still free on Spotify. Those, those FM counts are really important to me. So <laughs> <They> um... <laughs> your three plays of a tribe called Quest is going to matter a lot. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm real excited about that. But uh, I'm also excited about the Twin Geek Cast. This will be our last episode for a while. I think we're taking an extended break. We both have a lot going on in our lives. So. Yeah, just um, just a little bit. A lot's been going on lately, of course, both uh, personal and uh, public here. And also just you know, good to get away for a little bit. I know I was away for a little bit, and uh, now it's Cal's turn to get away, and uh, I can get away again, too, I guess. <laughs> and then, it's uh, good to get away. Yeah, we're going to kind of reshuffle the podcast, think of some new ideas and new concepts that we could uh, do going forward. So Yeah, there's just a lot going on, a lot to look forward to as well. So, But we're going to go out with a bang this time, which is, of course, why we brought Jesse back for his annual uh, Halloween gush, as we like to call it. It's a gift and a curse. <laughs> well, uh, I guess we can start with the, the most recent Halloween that you guys have uh, taken we- in this year. Should we do that, or should we do our horror list and do Halloween to Halloween? What do you think? I don't know, because because we're gonna go from like if if we start with the good, then it's okay. just downhill from there, right? Like yeah, we're not yeah. we're not coming back to anything good. So maybe we should go straight into the Halloween kills 
and then a little bit of levity with some nice stuff we watched during Halloween before we go back into the mediocre again. I'll leave this one to Jesse to start. Well, Halloween killed my soul. <laughs> um, it actually kind of crushed me. Like um, <laughs> that first viewing it, like David, I, I know you haven't seen it, and but it's it's worse than you think it is. It really I, is. I can I only s- I can only imagine. Like obviously, I've I've signed up now for the next what ten years to do this on every you know uh, end of the Halloween to talk about another <laughs> shitty sequel to to one great film. <laughs> so I I feel like I'm I'm just starting to dive into what what can only be a, a giant cesspool of mediocrity from here on out. Uh, and again, th- as as someone who didn't enjoy the 2018 film i can only imagine how much worse this is if you two halloween diehards are are pulling your hair out over it like the the word that comes to mind is incompetent yeah it's just i mean it's it's astounding especially like you know i was so excited for this movie i mean Mm -hmm. i wasn't expecting um a great film but you know, I kind of had a general idea of what was going to happen. And I was like, oh, man, this could easily be the best sequel out of the bunch. And <laughs> it's like it, it's it's everything you hate about, you know, legacy sequels right now. Yeah. Just the the constantly shoving nostalgia down your throat. Mm-hmm. It's con- constantly playing like, do you remember when and shit like that? And. It, it seems like that's like an inflated problem from the 2018 film because there was definitely a lot of that. That one felt like the Force Awakens of Halloween movies, in which it's like absolutely we have to we have to revive and follow the path of this first film that everyone really likes a lot in order to kind of have a a good you know note to go on and, and let everyone know that hey we're we're doing something you know right here we're on the right path you know we're going back to the basics like in a very literal sense but it'll be okay when once we get away from that. Um, but it doesn't sound like Halloween Kills then followed it up by being the last Jedi of this, in a sense that no. e- even if it went in new directions, you know, it might have upset you know certain fans. But enthusiastic, it just seems like everyone is very dissatisfied with you, Halloween. You never Kills. go straight to the Rise of Skywalker. That's what they no. did. They, they jumped the the last Jedi and went right in to the Mm -hmm. end of like a everyone says halloween kills to be funny like it kills the franchise uh but but i think it might be you know i think it might be true that uh it might need to take a rest where it probably didn't need to before um after this next one we're getting another one in in one solid year from now so uh i'm Mm -hmm. less looking forward to that than i was before Um, oh no like it's it's well well, especially with the description that's been kind of floating around i'm i'm not sure now how authentic that description we've seen of Halloween ends is, but if it is in fact going in the direction that seems to be uh, rumored, then uh, that's going to be really awful. I feel that was taken out of context myself. <laughs> like, because uh, it, it was just, uh, what he's talking about is uh, everybody's saying this is going to be a Halloween movie that about COVID and the pandemic. <laughs> and uh, basically, what, what he said was that he's going to do a time jump and jump four years ahead. And the interviewer mentioned, well, I guess there's going to be a lot more mask around. And he said, oh, yeah, I guess there will. So they're going to be dealing with what happens in this film. And then I guess they're living in a world that deals with, you know, 
living in the pandemic. And then all these websites said uh, COVID-19 Halloween incoming and stuff. <laughs> and then hilariously, someone edited the letterbox to, <laughs> to mm-hmm. say, like, now Michael Kirk, oh, how the town fights its biggest uh, killer, COVID-19. but at this point uh they might as well just you know put it out of its misery and uh, just go in that direction i don't yeah i mean i can see where things are taken out of context though and they they keep trying to you know if they're trying to apply real world situations to the halloween context i know i saw a bunch of uh interviews with jimmy lee curtis and she was kind of comparing all of the, the the riot stuff and halloween kills to uh you know discussions around the black lives matter movement last year and a lot of that mm. stuff going on which it was like really really bad like tasteless marketing that mm. she's trying to plug for the film yeah, she did that with uh the last one as well with the me too movement but that yeah, one yeah. <laughs> so if, that that one felt more appropriate like this halloween kills doesn't really say anything about rioting and stuff except maybe <laughs> no. it possibly condemns it you know yeah it does if it does anything it might condemn it and say it's not the solution i've i've heard a couple of takes and seen a good amount of clips from it so i've got a good idea of what happens and some of the dumb shit that's said in the movie but i'm 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 very interested to hear your guys's you know more detailed perspective on it i think the thing to start with is that uh the other troop pantomime of the first movie that happens at the start that we both really fucking hate like this is the um like Buster Rhymes is a low, but it's funny. Like Buster Rhymes is redeemable, but this yeah. is like uh, the lowest shit that I've seen in the horror franchise in many years. You want to yeah. do your take on that? Yeah, like it 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 starts off in just by punching <laughs> you in the face, um, <laughs> and it's it jumps back and it wants to do an epilogue to the original film, and it has nothing to offer to add to it. You know, it's just. You know they're they're sniffing their own farts basically, <laughs> and uh, they even go as far as to have Doctor Loomis there. Um, there's no CGI, the you know it's a prosthetic, but it has like this community theater quality to the acting, and it just the way it starts to film off there, it just you you know you're screwed. <laughs> just, I mean, I felt like it was actively harmful to like my actual perception of like this whole series um in a way that i found really unfortunate for a sequel uh because i felt like the movie actively hated me within five minutes of it starting like i thought it resented me for bringing in any context from the old movies and having like this relationship to what those were and how i felt about them you know i was reminded because uh, apparently on the last one one of the early drafts they had decided to start to film off by going back to the ending of Halloween, the original and changing what happened. And they were going to do this pretty much, you know, have this big flashback scene like we did here, yeah. except uh, instead of Loomis shooting Myers off the balcony, they were going to have um, Loomis get his eyes gouged out probably or something, you know, really violent. And uh, then Lori just being like, no, die, die and grab a gun and shoot him off. <laughs> and apparently John Carpenter read that and was like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> and uh, so you you don't have to do this. That's pretty good. I, yeah, I, yeah. That that seems especially damning from Carpenter, who 
probably couldn't give a shit less what's going on nowadays if he's <laughs> gonna actually pipe up with an opinion on what's going on it must be really bad <laughs> it's funny I, because he seems to be the only one who gives a shit actually like the score is the i think the redeeming aspect like the last one is actually my favorite halloween score oddly like it's not my favorite movie in there but like separate of that movie i go back to that score all the time of 2018 and i'm like that's that's fucking good like it shows his evolution yeah it's some of his best work you know and this one it might not match it but it's fantastic you know uh yeah just the way he's taking the his old compositions and just bending and twisting them to find new textures and it's it's really dark and sinister which is what the film is supposed to be instead of the fucking joke it is. Yeah. I read it. Speaking of him not giving a shit, I read a, an interview with him recently where, because um, in the film, they there's a Halloween 3 reference, which, you know, yay, we always like Halloween 3. And, uh, you know, a bunch of trick-or-treaters are wearing the, uh, the mask. Mm-hmm. And the interviewer brought this up to Carpenter. He's just like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> What are you talking about? Like he has no fucking clue <laughs> about any of it. He's like, yeah, okay, sure, yeah. <laughs> there are Fuck a few moments, <laughs> like the like the lady like run around the woods, and like the carpenter scores finally like piercing through, and I'm like feeling it, and there's a little tension, but that like never lasts in this movie. Like the editing no. is so bad on the on the kills. Like it's not it's not even a terrible idea, is it? Like it like no. this could be a good concept. Like that's that's why I was so excited because I feel like they they you know that we got another one coming with you know another final showdown between Lori and Michael for like the fifth or sixth time I don't even know <laughs> and so why not you know go explore something else and uh, I, I like the idea you know it's it's a lot of segmented uh, you know characters and stuff like uh, like there's there's one a uh, couple moments in the film that I think that worked for me I don't know what you feel but. Basically, David, uh, Michael's goal is to basically go home. I don't, I don't know <laughs> if he's trying to get there, you know. Like to, like, like to his house or the mental hospital? For, to, to his house. Like, he's basically going home. Maybe he wants to watch the big giveaway at whatever time that happens. <laughs> but uh, but there's, there's this couple that's living in the Myers house, uh, Big John and Little John. And, and they're seeing, you know, it's just them being people. Uh, you know, they they tell little jokes that are just funny to them. It reminds me of like the original Halloween of just like the three teenagers walking down and, you know, not telling jokes that make you bust a gut laughing, but you smile at it. Mm-hmm. And then of course shit goes South for them. And, you know, the movie actually allows itself to, you know, doesn't just cut straight ahead to the carnage. It builds it up just a little bit and just kind of shows this concept for kills the way it, it could work, but you know, it's, Soon after that, you get Charles Cipher showing up to say everybody's entitled to one good scare, you know, because he's seen the movie as well. <laughs> you know, I've, I've seen uh, a lot, a lot of critiques of, about it, and I guess it also kind of applies to the 2018 film. Is that it seems like David Gordon Green and Danny McBride kind of want like all of the 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 buildup and the representation of like terror that Michael has over the course of the. 20 whatever films you know that we have mm-hmm. um without actually like having the you know all of the the narrative baggage that comes with all of that you know and and so you know kind of a holdover from the 2018 one is that you know everyone's you know feeling like like the lingering effects of this killer who 
only committed a couple of murders 40 years ago and now a couple more you know just recently and so now there's a whole mob frenzy after them and acting like he's the biggest baddest most awful thing to ever come through the world mm-hmm. i i i've heard a, a a certain phrase in the film is repeated quite often oh god don't even say it <laughs> don't even fucking like anybody that's seen the movie knows exactly what you're gonna say and it's the worst thing ever <laughs> Go ahead. It's, it's pretty corny, isn't it? It's it's just the the conviction with which everyone seems to say it. <laughs> evil dies tonight. Yeah. Evil <laughs> dies tonight. Um, evil did not die on that night. <laughs> <laughs> just so you know. But uh, yeah, that was a uh, even when knowing what was how it was going to play out, that was one of the big concerns I had. That and uh, just a couple moments of that were just pure cheese and. If anything Uh evil didn't die, it fucking manifested more (laughs) evil, and it's the worst like franchise recycling bullshit that we've had in a while. I mean, like the franchises are so in line now, and they're so like corporatized and kind of packed into what uh, the last movie was in a series of movies. Um, We we don't really get adventurous sequels that are doing weird shit anymore. So, uh, oh no, uh, I, I mean, it really caught me off guard. Yeah, no, I thought that, you know, we this could actually just maybe be used to explore something, you know, like, like that segmented, yeah, that segmented, you know, approach to, because on paper, a lot of these scenes, uh, I think, are have the potential to be scary, but they are just so poorly directed and chopped together that, like, uh, like early on, I don't know, I, I don't want to sit there and regurgitate the review I just wrote for the site, <laughs> but, but, uh, you know, like, uh, there's that shot of the little boy, Lonnie. Uh, he's the bully from the first film. And uh, they brought back the little kid with probably like two lines. Yeah. And uh, there, there's a reason for it just because like him and Tommy, who's supposed to be, you know, like some of the main characters, they're friends and stuff. And uh, so they, they, in the flashback, it's like one of the decent ideas I had was to show a run in with uh, that Lonnie had with Myers. And basically, um, you know, the scene itself, it's like, oh, he sees him, you know, he he runs away, he trips, and then it's supposed to be like this buildup of him just being scared to death as Myers gets closer and closer and closer, but instead it's all cut together in like three seconds, and it's the most underwhelming thing ever. And I know just, the, the editing and the cinematography was something I definitely had issues with in the 2018 film. Everything is framed like really close up and uh, oh, yeah. cuts around a lot. So th- I think that was my biggest beef with that film, aside from the, a lot of the retreading. But, so I'm, I'm not surprised that it's worse. <laughs> yeah, like, I like the cinematography of the last one, except, you know, I always agree that it was it's too tight, you know, yeah. and there are some, some editing issues, but, you know, it's also got some pre-striking imagery in parts. This, it might, but just the way it's put together, you can't appreciate any of it. You know, it's... Mm-hmm. Well, I, I got one other important question about the movie before we, uh, uh, I guess, move on. But and, and that's kind of like the most important thing is, uh, what did you guys think of the characterization of Michael? I know everyone, uh, like the last film definitely seemed to get it a bit more than any of the previous sequels. Like mm-hmm. how he's supposed to act and move and, you know, the the idea behind him, the, the kind of malice and, and, you know, lack of motivation, so to speak. Do you feel that? carried over or do you feel like you they kind of lost the plot with him 
You want to go first, Cal? He's just so badly directed. They they frame him so poorly. He still moves properly, and I think he's a good actor for Michael. What's the guy's name? Doing Michael? James Jude Courtney. James yeah, Jude I think Courtney. He's, he's pretty okay. Um, but I think it's just uh, uh, edited and framed so badly that it loses whatever impact it would have to show these extended kills. And I mean, when you edit away from them, it, I mean, it's just, it's a mess. Uh, it doesn't feel like it's a proper cohesive movie. Yeah, I'll agree with that. You know, like uh, to make Myers work, it's a collaboration with the camera. You know, you've got to just catching those otherworldly moments and things like that. You can't show too much. And this like it, the writing doesn't kill his mystique, but I feel like, you know, just uh, the way it's shot does. You know, it, some scenes are closer to a fucking action movie like John Wick. than <laughs> oh, no, that's not what I want in a Halloween movie. That's true. No. <laughs> And, but on paper, you know, like, I feel like uh, they, I don't, I'm not going to ruin the movie or spoil the movie, but they do. like they ruined the movie themselves. <laughs> they did. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, like they, they try to take him to, uh, you know, it's somewhat of a progression of character that makes sense. I feel like for him, but it's just the way it's put together. It has no impact, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. We'll I see mean, what uh, that that first one also like did uh, callbacks to some of the earlier movies with Michael and put him in situations and, you know, like going to pick up his overalls and everything, the bit in the bathroom, like there were, there were moments that were like authentically connected to some DNA of the franchise. So, uh, I think there were, there were more working moments and a understanding of where he comes from and uh, without like bringing in like the uh, Michael's, the the brother, you know, dynamic yeah. or, or what, any mm. of that stuff that we'll get to in a bit, but. Yeah, uh, just a, not not any real development. Like, he didn't move forward at all for me. He kills more. Uh, I mean, I think that might be an okay idea, but <laughs> but I think we'll also get to how I, I like uh, in the original Halloween, how he kind of kills off screen and, and how that means a little more. But Yeah, we'll like, uh, definitely, like, they used to, a lot of his kills were done, you know, off screen, a lot of the more violent moments. And this, you know, it wants to kind of peer, you know, like, think like in the first Halloween, whenever um, he basically sets up that little haunted house for Lori with her friends as the decoration. You know, they yeah. want to show you parts of that here. And mm. it's it's not really disturbing like it should be. So so it's, they do do some of that again? Because I think that's something I've kind of noticed that might be absent from some of the other sequels is that the the weird shit that Michael does, the unexplainable bizarre things he he does, like when he when he puts on the the sheet and the glasses or when he puts up the tombstone like he kind of stops doing that throughout the movies, doesn't he? Yeah, like that's that's all here. Like, oh, that, okay, interesting. Get, they, are, are, are there any examples you could give? Um, basically, like he he kills this uh this couple, and we then uh the the woman is still like she's dying slowly, and she's basically incapacitated, and she has to watch as Michael drags her husband and starts to make a little pincushion out of him and start decorating. You get to see him like kind of sit there and select certain moments where to where to stick all these knives and stuff but it's just that you know i feel like they they understand the character really well it's just that he's not put put together on screen it's like they keep stepping on their toes the the execution is poor okay yeah because that sounds interesting to get to kind of see that side of him more again because again it's like it's not there in the other films. So well, yeah, they, they, he, he does take it a little too far with some of the kills. Like you say, the pin cushion and also slamming mm-hmm. the guy's head down on the stairwell. Like there's, 
there's a few moments where he escalates beyond what he would usually do. Not like a sheet moment though. Not like a, Oh, that's funny and memorable. And I'm like, I'm going to jot that down for, you know, a funny moment in the Halloween series. Like I won't remember anything from this movie in five years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where, where do you guys think this would rank in your, just based on right now, I'm sure you got to kind of go back over the whole series again and then maybe give this a couple of years, but like, just just off the cuff here, where is this in your Halloween ranking? It's not the worst Halloween at all. It's um, there are much, you know, worse films in the franchise. It's just that with the team here, you know, these aren't just guys trying to make their name. You know, they can basically choose what they work on, and they've already had success in the series. They should know better. And just the fact that it falls like pretty much ranks in the middle for me. It's somehow worse than the movie we're about to talk about and for, for all the the, the 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 vehemently negative things you said the fact that this is middle is very discouraging <laughs> for me going forward here. i just want to say that well I'm, i think i'm more negative just on the fact that they should know better you know it's it's like i'm almost like i'm being harsher on them just because they should like the bottom the bottom line should be a lot better the, the floor <laughs> for quality should be a lot higher than what this fucking movie is. I mm-hmm. guess I'd only put the Curse of Michael Myers Halloween 5 and uh, the Resurrection below this one. Uh, for me, it is the bottom three. Um, I'm not have happy seen... with anything in it, but have I seen what? <laughs> have you seen the zombie films yet? Yeah, yeah. I, I like them a little bit more. So. Wow. I <laughs> know. Oh, it's that uh, insulting. Did, did... This coming from Halloween two advocate Jesse, <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it's better than Kills for sure. Like, uh, but just the the his original remake, <laughs> that's the one I was kind of uh, took him back. <laughs> I, I know that one's like a very very controversial one. There's some people who just outright fucking hate it with every fiber of their being. As yeah, I, I, as, I don't have that strong feeling about uh, as. As, as a not fan of Rob Zombie as a filmmaker, let me say I'm not excited to get there in however many years' time. I, <laughs> I think I gave wait. both the zombies <laughs> a middle score. So I gave them both a 5 out of 10, I think. Uh, so not much movement either way for me. I, I dislike them for different reasons. I like them both for other reasons. So. All right. I can't wait to get to some of that <laughs> more decrepit <laughs> entries into the series just to force David to watch them and talk I know. about them. I, I no, really that's... want David's thoughts on Robert Zombie, as uh, Steven's been calling him. <laughs> yeah, this is this is it. This is the, the one time of year you guys can rope me into some real mediocrity. So please enjoy it. We'll um, see with our new podcast plan. You might be in, in for more mediocrity soon. Oh, I might actually. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, to... Uh, to, to stem the tides of, of mediocrity until then, why don't we shift to some uh, positive Halloween experiences this year? You know, uh, as, as at least kind of I, I talked about last week with Murph, you know, we all have a pool of classics we watch. We try and get him some new horror watches throughout the whole month. We try and watch as many as possible. I think you guys got to way more than I did because I was kind of busy in the first half of this month. But uh, we still got a lot to share and talk about. I mean, I started oh, wait, so, in September, so I'm already yeah. done. I'm already as, at as you do. So. Uh, that's that's like, I don't know how you justify that. That seems, you know, uh, I sacrilege I, to me. I feel he does it just to spite me. At this I point. think so. <laughs> Both of us, I think so. I'm I'm a staunch October first person here. That's when that's when the spooky season starts. 
Well, this I know, is a like, fucking uh, sacred ritual, Cal. <laughs> I know our friend Jack started in July, so I'm thinking starting earlier next year. Maybe then you're just it, like, you're just watching horror it. movies. Then it's yeah. not it's not oh, a yeah, season yeah. one. You're just watching horror movies, which is fine. But don't rope don't don't categorize it here with the rest of them. I started at around fall, like September twenty second. Uh, Cal was so. peeking out the window, waiting for the leaf to turn slightly <laughs> yellow. <laughs> the first leaf that dropped, I put on a a little Halloween marathon. Um, yeah, yeah. He's he's got his Halloween tree DVD in the player, ready to close as soon as the, the as soon as the leaf goes. Hit the ground, go, go. It's true. I've seen Halloween tree three times this year. So I haven't seen it actually. I hope you will uh, one day. It's a I, it's a great animated special, which is a, a full feature, David. It's not a yeah, it's I, not a little nugget. It's not a short <laughs> film, as you called I, it last week. Did I did I call the short again? <laughs> yeah, you called it a short and a little nugget. Um, it's 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 a big nugget, David. It's okay, a, it's okay. A decent... Look, we we've got we've got the Murph endorsement to go with your your ardent enthusiasm here. I think we'll get to it next year. Finally, I hope so. Um, unless we change our podcast and we do something else. <laughs> Just yeah, yeah. And, and unless our podcast is radically different, we've shifted it over to solely speaking about you know. Uh, comic books that you know were once movies or something i don't know we're always going to do a halloween special though this this time of year so it's it's too great it's um, too great of a holiday to ignore it is Um, really my favorite holiday and i think halloween tree encompasses that i mean it's about friendship uh well really it's about a kid who's dying from like leukemia or something and uh, he's uh he's going to get on his deathbed and someone takes like his halloween pumpkin and that represents his soul Hold on, I'm, fe- I'm feeling blindsided. None of this came up in the discussion with Murph last week. I don't know why. I, this <laughs> is there, there are whole new facets of this film that I thought I got a pretty in-depth discussion of. I feel yeah. like I need a refund on my Benevolent Halloween podcast episode. Well, their friend's dying, so they need to go trace the history of Halloween through like multiple cultures, through France and Egypt and... Uh, yeah, I mean, Murph described it pretty well. I yeah, thought, yeah. I mean, he, it's, he it sounded like the interest, the interesting culture trip, but the leukemia thing seems like a big plot <laughs> yeah. point to leave it out. Yeah, that that caught me off guard. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's a Ray Bradbury, so it, it has a little dark. Uh, it is. It, it is. It? Yeah. yeah. There's a, like something wicked this way comes. You can think of a little darkness in Bradbury. Um, yeah, I just love it. I, I love the autumnal feel of it. I love that it goes over different cultures of Halloween. And like Murph says, it's never like, oh, this is how we do Halloween. It's like Halloween has always existed within these cultures. And here's how it perpetuates itself through their design of death. Yeah, it, it sounds very interesting. And again, like a, a, a perfect encapsulation of the kind of benevolent Halloween we discussed last year, along with all those other uh, films. But yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting to that eventually. Not this not this year, unfortunately. Uh I've I've ex- exhausted my <laughs> uh, ability to watch uh, other films. I've, I've got a very small list this year. Uh, just last night, I hit my thirteenth. I had a very very late start in the month, and uh, a handful of new ones, but uh, not not a whole lot that stood out to me as like a exemplar. I think the favorite so far from this month has been uh, a Vincent Price film. Uh, have you guys both seen House of Wax? I have not yet. Uh, I've got. I think I'm going to do it next year. I know you saw a different one. You watched Abominable Dr. Phoebes just recently, yes. right? That one yes. was, was on my list, but I wasn't able to get to it because I got to run around to, to go find these ones to, to rent. But I did grab House of Wax, and I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, I also watched Mystery of the Wax Museum because it was on the same DVD, which was a mm. thir- 1933 pre-code horror film directed by Michael Curtiz. And, uh, it's, Fay Ray, right? 
Uh, no. Yes, yes, she's in that one. She's in that one as well as Dr. X. Um, yeah, and it was almost the same movie, which was, like, <laughs> like very much. Like, I knew House of Wax was a remake, but, like, it was a remake remake. Like, you took the same script and you remade it. I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> which was so very was, interesting. You mean the one Does with... Go shot for... Shop you mean the shot? one with Paris Hilton, right? The 2005 no. <laughs> House of Wax. <laughs> that, that one's also a remake, but a very different kind. <laughs> no, um, yeah. it's not shot for shot, uh, but the okay. scene, the scenes are the same. The story is the same. Um, you know, there's similar lines and such. Uh, the setting is slightly different, but uh, ostensibly the same. Uh, I was just surprised by how much, like, because I was aware of the other House of Wax remake, and I, I kind of just figured that, you know, it was another case of taking the same property and just doing something different with it. But no, the 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 1954 one, I think it is, uh, is is very much the same story as the 1933 one. But Vincent Price just makes it a, a, all a bit more compelling, I mm-hmm. think, uh, and and just overall, there's there's a bit more charisma and. Uh, interesting effects going on in that film there's less mystery for sure based on the structure like there's a whole plot involving a, a grotesque dude running around in a cape killing people and there's no there's no mystery as to who it is it's very very obvious but <laughs> mm. it's fun though oh yes it's a lot of fun um i think it, it it has a very compelling opening in particular with vincent price being a, a this kind of wax artist who's committed to the artistry of it and he's got a business partner who just wants to make it like a grotesque you know museum of you know uh m- the macabre or whatever and he ends up in the beginning you know burning down the place to try and make the insurance money and uh you know there's a big fight that that vincent price has with this guy while all of the wax figures in the whole building is burning around him and it's filmed really well that was probably the, the best scene in the movie nice uh, as for me, like, uh, yeah, Price is like, uh, you know, batting a thousand with me. You know, he, uh, I've been slowly each year going through, uh, uh, usually his Corman pictures and stuff, but even this year, you know, it's, I think, uh, Dr. Fibes is a later era Vince Price. I think it's after the Corman cycle and stuff. I, yeah, I think it's in the 70s, isn't that one? Mm-hmm. But, you know, he's, still just delivers that movie was a blast and i don't know maybe you need to come over and borrow it or something david yeah no, <laughs> I, I, I definitely want to see it it's going on the list for sure next year uh it, it looks terrific and of course again I, I i love price and just about everything uh there's one corman price i know you still got to get to and i know calvin can now speak on behalf of for me here yeah i i got into the corman post cycle as well with the raven which uh, david scott on his wall somewhere uh, i do so i know it's a beloved film of his and one that he champions often. And I could speak to that too. I mean, I could attest that it is, um, I like a cheap film that uh, comes together well and just has all the production value of a more like ritzy, well-shot film. Like like it looks gorgeous despite its low budget and everyone's having fun in it and you just want to have fun with them. It's nowhere close to the Raven. Like it it just uses no, that as not. a jumping off point, right? Like for there, something there's... totally different. I think Vincent Price reads a couple of lines of the poem in the beginning, and then that's it. That's the entire connection with that's, the, the yeah, Poe poem. Pretty much is, the end of it. There's there's nothing Poe about it at all. And well, he uh, does have the talking raven there, right? Like, yeah, but there he, is but a raven. He, he's a little sassier than the raven in the poem. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's uh he's Peter Lorre for one thing. Oh well. Yeah. So so that that's how the film opens up. It's a, a raven flies into 
Vincent Price, who's a wizard, uh, he flies into his like castle room or whatever, and then he starts sassing him and, and getting him to help turn him back into a person. Hmm. And 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 oh, it's great is at first it only like the potion they make only part way works, so then you get a good chunk of the film with Peter Lorre walking around with bird wings. <laughs> it's it's very it's very funny and humorous, and it does feel like they're kind of just having fun and almost making it up as they go along. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There, there is a, a cheapness, but in kind of like the best way, it does feel like they just got all of these great, you know, character actors together and just kind of let them loose in this kind of weird, fantastical setting. And there's like a big special effects showdown with between Vincent Price and Boris Karloff at the end. Uh, and it, it kind of reminds me of this, a similar scene at the end of Big Trouble in Little China, where it's just oh. like, it's literally like these two wizard characters and they're like, just like doing finger magic and they're shooting these <laughs> giant things at each other. I feel like that, that had to be an inspiration of some kind. I don't know. The, the similarities just, uh, they, they strike me. Mm-hmm. I've actually got a, uh, one of the, from the post cycle on tap for later this month still. Um, and it's an anthology. It's tales of terror or something like that. You guys familiar I've, with that one? I think I've heard of that one. Have I seen not- it though? It's yeah. not one I've got to yet. Uh, I, I got to get to more of those Poe films from Cormor. I think the the one I've seen, I've seen Mask of Red Death. I like that one. Um, I was seeing it in the Pendulum. That looks pretty good. Mm-hmm. That that one's really good. Uh, my favorite is House of Usher. If you right, haven't good. seen House of Usher, go see House of Usher. So so many to get to, and I still have you know I only have so many days left. The the <laughs> Halloween is over at the end of this week. <laughs> oh, it is. I I have so little time. I guess that one of the main things I've done is I've watched things in a group with some of our friends, like uh, Ben and Cody and uh, Steven sometimes and Vaughn uh, in little group chats. We've watched uh, some of the Japanese horror movies this year. We watched like the Juwan. Um, one of the highlights was Bloody Muscle Bodybuilder in Hell, which is an <laughs> Evil Dead. Um, rip off from Japan but when I say rip off I mean that endearingly this guy worked on this film for like 20 years like just piecing together like this loving homage to Evil Dead and it is really beautiful and, and sweet um, and he does say yeah you know he, he says I'm groovy and all that and he, he, oh, goes, no for the, yeah, he, he goes for the ash things in between his Japanese and um, yeah it is like they just go to a house and there's like this floating head and uh, a lot of uh, prosthetics and uh, practical effects. A lot of love in that movie. Uh, my favorite one, though, not base, not Battlefield Baseball. That was another uh, cheesy Japanese ones we watched. Uh, um, Uzumaki wasn't a good one. Uh, that's an adaptation of Spiral, which is getting an animation the next year. Uh, but it was uh, Merbita, which is from uh, Takashi Shimizu. I'm sure I didn't do that well. Um <laughs> Shimizu. Shimizu. Yes. <laughs> no. please, please excuse the gibberish portion of our podcast this week. Uh, uh, he did The Grudge, Juwan, uh, some of those that I oh. like. Um, so I'm really into his aesthetic. And this one's a little odd because it goes into like the Tokyo Underground. It's just a guy bringing a camcorder down there. And it isn't quite like a found footage thing, but it does that through its own aesthetic and kind of perpetuates what we're looking at when we look through a lens to see horror and if we're looking into the worst parts of ourselves or if we're actually viewing something larger so a really profound recommendation for me um i know it's not even well loved i think it has probably like a let's see here like a 3.2 average letterbox oh, but I, oh for me that's... i gave it a full nine like i i wow. love the movie hmm. and um i think it's fun to advocate for things that aren't 
aren't quite found yet. Like a, this director, I'm very fond of anyway. I like all the Juans and I like Grudge. I think they have a lot more social value than they're always given credence to. So uh, that era of Japanese horror, really into it. That's the best. That's the best when you can find something that feels like not everyone else has gotten on board with yet. So you can be the the champion of it and mm -hmm. uh, kind of try and bring it to more attention. And uh, it also, it just feels more special to you. Like, oh, yeah. this is this is mine. This is my director. This is my movie. <laughs> it's yeah, it's probably everything. a bad. That's probably a bad mentality to maintain. Like, probably no. not very healthy. But uh, I'm gonna do it anyway. I mean, even if you, <laughs> I mean, if you really love something and you find something that's special and you actually think it's poetic and unique and. Uh, I mean, it's not a film that everyone should have watched and liked. I mean, it's weird. Like, he collects a woman from down the dungeon. She's chained up, and she kind of becomes a cat in his home, and it's it's a very strange thing. Um, it's a lot about voyeurism and looking into the darkest parts of yourself through a lens, so I think I, there's a lot there for someone to find, but uh, hopefully someone like me can find more in it, too. Yeah, I'll, I'll jot it down for sure. Um, I actually haven't even started on Juon yet. I, I had planned to possibly next year. I've been uh, going through the Ring series, and I feel like I've basically tapped out on anything <laughs> I'm going to get out of it. I think so. After you've seen yeah. the, the first one, the American remake, and the second one, I think you're probably okay. Yeah, I watched a, a prequel, and it was it was basically the Ring and Carrie mixed together and had a baby. Is that and Rings, or is that Ring... What, which this, one is it? This was a uh, Ring Zero birthday, and this is a <laughs> okay. oh, no. Jap Japanese. And um, but you know it was all right. My my month so far, um, I'm a bit behind because Halloween Kills killed my desire to watch movies for about a week. <laughs> this is why you need and, to start in September in case you get any <laughs> real uh, shit like that. Yeah, so I'm having to double up at night, and I feel like I backloaded the month, like all the cool stuff that you know I told you about like i'm gonna see the devils finally oh yeah. my god please please tell me how that goes yeah and even other ones like the house that screamed uh you know our friend grams you know prop that one up and a few others so my first half has just been a lot of mediocrity <laughs> and yeah. but there's been a couple little gems like uh as i said i just now watched uh dr fibes and i saw whatever happened to baby jane for the first time Oh, yes. I know that's a that's a Cal special as well. He saw that before even I did. Oh, yeah. I love that oh, one. Really? I, have a, I have a small piece on the site from when we were just getting started on that yep. one. Mm -hmm. That's a very interesting uh, film. It's a lot of fun. It's, it's very cheesy, but it's also very interesting to see kind of like how the, you know, the, these kind of old Hollywood icons were then kind of adapting as, you know, the, the late 60s were kind of really kicking in and new Hollywood was starting to take over. Uh, and it's just a fun dynamic, and, and Betty Davis is is fucking fantastic, like in everything she's oh, in. Yeah. <laughs> so, of course, so, uh, you you watch it, and you you just get drawn into just the whole feud story going behind the scenes. And... Yeah, yeah. How much of that is true and not? You know, it, who really cares? Yeah, it almost uh, doesn't yeah. matter. Like it's almost immaterial as long as it's reflected in that movie, right? Like it it feels real because it's there on the yeah. camera. Mm -hmm. I guess it's one of those things where where the mythos, you know, the uh, uh, the, the the legend outweighs the facts so to speak you know so there's there's certainly some truth to a lot of what is said and purported about the movie but uh i'm not going to ruin anyone's fun by picking it apart and telling you <laughs> david did you have more did you have more you wanted to get to uh i guess one other highlight was uh going to to an imax theater and watching paranorman uh mm -hmm. oh, over cool. the, yeah over at the omsi here i went with murph actually just uh 
last week. Uh, they were doing a whole like a retrospective, and uh, we just happened. Uh, Paranorman was the one we settled on, decided to pick. It was seasonally appropriate, and it was one we we're both big fans of, uh, Merv especially. And yeah, I, I I had a blast revisiting it. I hadn't seen it in years and years, but I, I remember it being. Uh, being affectionate about it, but it was much funnier even than I remembered. I liked the, mm. the the more cutting humor of it that it has kind of throughout. Some unexpected humor for uh, a, a kid-oriented film. Uh, of course, it's animated beautifully, as everything like has done is, and uh, it really holds up for for the seasonal value. Um, it can it can be a little cloying towards the end, I think, but that's really only the main the, the you know main issue with it is that it uh, try and lean a little too sincerely into the the emotional aspect of it and that's mm. you know par for the course with uh you know kind of kids film like this um you know it can't all be sardonic the whole time but mm. it's it's really good very impressive of course and a you know kind of true successor and surpasser even of many of the stop motion halloween classics i think and I... Seeing, it, seeing it on the giant screen was just always great uh, i mean you, you forget how you know, uh, kind of overwhelming IMAX can be if you haven't been to one in a while. And having Leica there is probably good too. Like having them, yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope they do better. <laughs> uh, it was the the director of uh, writer director of Paranorman was there in attendance for Q and A beforehand, and he also did um, Missing Link, which is their most I love film. And, or I like, and yeah, most people and, don't like. Uh, well, I like it, it a lot. You, you could you could feel his uh, kind of regret that that you know it didn't do so well financially when he when he talked about it, and I don't blame him. Uh, it it did very very poorly, and it you know probably deserved to at least you know get even. <laughs> I don't even know what you're all talking about, so that's that's kind of a shame. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I guess for for Jesse and the couple of other uninitiated out there, Leica is one of the predominant stop motion well, animation studios. Just, just just talking about their most recent movie, I, I had no idea. I haven't heard from them. Oh, since, it was uh, it was a couple years ago. So <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's kind What's, of the point, right? That you don't know. Well, it takes it, it takes yeah. like five years to make a, a, a film from them. You know, they only have five movies right now and they've been making movies since 2001 so okay so that was the one they did after is it kubo yeah is that the- yeah. kubo yeah. was the one just before they have another one coming up uh something about the woods i've already forgot the name <laughs> well i guess i've already talked about most of mine if we if we want to move forward here but uh, uh i'm yeah i'm happy to move on because i mean uh, i guess oh, i did it all on the podcast right like i already talked yeah. about devil's backbone mad god and uh um, what else did I watch? The Night of the Living Dead. I think I've already kind of covered these on the yeah, show. Yeah, I've, I've covered a lot of mine, too, with the Benevolent Halloween discussion last week. You know, I went through a ton that I watched kind of working up towards there. So, again, but one I didn't talk about, because I just watched it, was uh, Halloween 2. Yeah. Why, why did I watch this, guys? Um, <laughs> because we have a decade of happy times ahead of us of discussing... <laughs> such works uh, i'm i'm happy to come on and talk about a pretty underwhelming film now and again because uh, because it's fun to talk shit about certain movies or to talk about the things that are very dumb or don't work but also things that do because uh, I'll, the- I'll say this i, I, I want to say this up front it's it's a bad movie but it's not always a bad time no mm-hmm. when you say the why is also that we are choosing between this and kills and then then we both saw kills and it was like an absolutely not let's not do that yet <laughs> yeah it's it's pretty notable that you know kills just came out and 
you would think naturally we'd go there. I think even last year, the year before, we said we were going to do kills. Did, <laughs> yeah. you, you guys could use some space, it sounds like. Give, give yeah. it about 10 years, then maybe you can mm-hmm. you, you can at least talk about it without so much hurting your heart. Yeah. <laughs> this one at least kind of comes from a time where we still had the glimmer of hope in our eyes, where uh, we still believed in good things happening in our lives. That, um, and we believed in being rewarded for uh, caring about things. Uh, mm-hmm. So, so I need I need the backstory to start. I need I need Jesse to give us the rundown on what Halloween Two is, how it came to be, and why it is the way it is. All right. So Halloween was a smash success. You know, it's it was love. It was Dorda's most successful independent movie of all time, and Carpenter's basically writing his ticket. He's a uh, he goes on. He he's going to do the Fog next, and he's got an understanding, I believe, with one of the producers from Halloween, which is Erwin Yablons, that he's going to do the fog with him. Well, Erwin apparently is on a plane um, sitting next to an executive from another company, and he mentions this. So what happens? That executive goes and snatches Carpenter in the fog away from Erwin, and Erwin gets pissed. So he takes the guy, uh, files a lawsuit against him, and basically the settlement means that that guy was able to keep the fog, but the Halloween two would have to be made with Irwin. And so Carpenter was basically forced to produce this movie. Might as well have been at gunpoint <laughs> and he didn't have to direct it, but you know, he had to produce it, write it. And he probably enjoyed doing the music, you know, <laughs> but that's basically how Halloween two came about. And it's quite apparent. I believe when you watch it, because it has no ideas, you know, he's, he's basically just like, if I can just get just a few more pages, you know, this much, then we can cut it together and make a movie. So just coming up with just filler. And that's mm-hmm. Halloween too. <laughs> my, my understanding was that the idea was originally different, like in a first draft that it was something about oh, years yeah, later yeah. in a high rise building. Like that was the kind of core idea, but they scrapped that and instead just picked it up on the same night that the first mm-hmm. movie ended, which was, I think, a, a terrible idea as an alter- alternate. Like, they should have probably stuck with the high-rise. At least, like, the time distance would ha- give it some feeling of identity on its own. You can't watch Halloween 2 as as a singular experience. Like, it, it just, it, it shoots itself in the foot right away by just mm-hmm. attaching itself so wholly to the, the first film and then undermining the conclusion of the first film uh, you know, and, and, and the, that's one of the most damning things, I think, is that because if, if you try and connect them in your head, which I have a very difficult time doing, um, it, it basically just sucks all the air out of this beautiful climax that, that the first movie has, this kind of short reprieve before you get this terror that he's just somewhere. Again, the, that final mm-hmm. shot, you know, the final sequence of shots in the first Halloween where it's just, the, you know, you cut back to the body and it's gone, and then there's those, you know, that montage of shots of all the different houses, all these different places where and you get this sensation that Michael could be anywhere. Uh, well, if you connect that to the beginning of two, then it's not that he could be anywhere. He's there. He's still going. You know, it's not that he's out there somewhere in the world and we haven't beat him. He's still rampaging. The events are still going on. It, there was no conclusion at all. This is just a, a continuation of what's been happening already. That intro always, uh, always, uh, you know, kind of stops me in my tracks because, uh, 
you know, they, they start with the ending of the first one. They add a new scene, of course, yeah. uh, <laughs> where he's where you get to see him fly off the balcony backwards and it just looks really awkward. And yeah. uh, they, they give Loomis this ridiculous line when someone comes <laughs> out from next door. <laughs> yeah. Tell the sheriff I shot him. Yeah. yeah. You don't know what death is. And then he just kind of like runs off awkwardly. <laughs> Sorry. This is <laughs> it's it's and it, and it kind of it, but at the same time it kind of sets the stage for the kind of dumb stuff that's about oh, to it follow, does. doesn't it? <laughs> I, I tell you that my favorite uh moment from that that intro is when he goes out and uh where Michael's disappeared, he, he's fucking imprinted into the grass. You know, mm-hmm. he's fallen fifteen foot. Yeah, and yeah. somehow like imprinted his entire body. It looks like a, a murder sketch. <laughs> Because I guess you know physics just don't apply to to the boogeyman. <laughs> uh, uh, oh, they they don't apparently, as we'll see. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's definitely a film with with zero ideas. As as things just <laughs> proceed, nothing happens. There's there's nothing. no way to summarize this movie. Uh, there, let's see. Laurie goes to a hospital, and and Loomis goes around looking for Michael, and Michael goes around and, and gets to the hospital eventually. And that's the entire movie. That yeah. that, that is the events of Halloween 2. Uh, there are no developments. The, the the characters don't get to do anything. It's it's really just a vapid vehicle for, for some kills and stuff, which is, I guess, fitting as as a kind of successor and for what the fallout of the slasher oh. genre was there. It's kind of em- emblematic of that. Once we get to that again, we're looking at the thing I don't like in Halloween, which is uh, the grittier kills and showing more of them kind of removes the magic too like like you say you wonder he's out there and uh sometimes not showing him is more effective than showing him like not mm-hmm. showing a kill sometimes is more effective than you know showing something go through the eye or or you know uh, a drowning in a mm-hmm. jacuzzi can be this, this what, what? is i think this oh. film is better if you look at it not as a successor to halloween but if you look at it as a contemporary of all the other slashers mm. that came out that year yeah because there's and, like an arms race going on you know with these effects and you know murder spots and stuff it's yeah. like each one's trying to top the next but this is the same year as the burning and friday the 13th and like a host of other slashers 1981 was just it was a boon for these films yeah. and it's actually friday part two so friday is already oh, okay. yeah so you know it's even that just shows like it's the ante just kept getting upped and upped and up. Yeah. So if you view Halloween two as just kind of like a strict slasher and the appeals that those have, then there's some things to be had. I like the jacuzzi kill for one example, which uh, mm-hmm. Cal named there. As as far as like the execution of it and you know getting to see some of the gnarlier burn effects as they they drown her more and more, uh, that I, I think is really good. Uh, compared to like the the time where he stabs a nurse with a scalpel and lifts her off the ground, yeah, that's really silly and stupid. <laughs> By the way, we mm. just covered uh, Friday Thirteenth Part Two a couple weeks ago with the marvelous Matt Farley, the Earl of Christmas, Ricky um, yeah, Fr- Farley. You'll, you'll have to go check that out. He made some really good cases, I'll say, throughout as well for for the enjoyability of this, and again, especially the the hangout movie, you know, kind yeah. of vibe of films like this. Uh, Halloween Two doesn't have that though. There's no, no characters to get invested in here. Even characters that you loved before, like Lori, uh, there's there's nothing for her. She she barely has any lines, and she doesn't do anything but sleep and then run away for half the movie. She doesn't even look like Lori because Jamie Lee Curtis is wearing <laughs> a really bad wig. Yeah, 
they should have really just said it three years later just for that aspect. That's, like, wouldn't have to go with the wig. Yeah. It, and, it, and it hurts even more. Like, I probably could have believed it more if they didn't show me clips from the first Halloween movie in the very beginning for right. a very clear juxtaposition. And maybe it's yeah. like uh, they should have done the Halloween Die Harder, but um, I don't know if it. I don't know if it would have ended up a better movie. I, I I don't know if there was a a good Halloween two to make. As our friend Jack says, Halloween two makes Halloween two look like Halloween two. We have three of them now. None of them are good. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's it's not good, but there are good things. Like I said, there's a couple of kills. Uh, I still like uh, Donald Pleasance as as Loomis. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he is enjoyable here, even if his character is not doing much uh, throughout. He, he mostly just regurgitates the same, like the same type of dialogue we've already heard. Right. Um, I wish there was more moments like uh, in the first movie where he scares the kids. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> get away from we, there. <laughs> yeah, we we get like a brief moment of it whenever he's uh, with the sheriff's deputy and. You know, he's there with the mob and gets out his gun and smiles and says, you know, heightens my sense of security, you know, that type of thing. But there, he doesn't get much to do. There, there, Yeah, so I feel like there's there's like three wavelengths the film is on at any given point where uh, of enjoyability. There's there's the sincere aspect where you've got great photography uh, from Dean Cundey and the, the score from John Carpenter just kind of marrying together to create like a, a, a facsimile of what was so you know, wonderful about the the technical work in the first Halloween. So that's mm-hmm. the the good enjoyability. On the other end of the scale, you've got the stupid stuff, the ridiculous, like you know, the dumb kills or the stupid twist, or you know, just the the total farcical characters that you do get in you know place of the you know characters we enjoyed before. And then there's mm-hmm. somewhere in the middle where you get stuff that's so insane and so stupid that it comes around as enjoyable again. Like, the very first death in the movie in which... Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> in, in which an innocent trick-or-treater gets plowed into by a police car, <laughs> which then bursts into flames. Hashtag justice for Ben Tramer. <laughs> now, now, that is fucking great. It's, yeah. it's stupid and totally unbelievable, but it's great. <laughs> that, that poor kid... You know, like he's he's the one from the first one that Lori's got a crush on, right? Is it? I don't know. It was just yeah, it was it, it was a person in a mask. I don't. It happened so fast that I well, I I was kind of in disbelief because again that car was coming at like eighty miles an hour. Like I don't know why that cough was ripping so fast through the streets. Well, like later on, uh, some some kids show up to uh, the sheriff's deputy and say, you know, hey, we're looking for Ben Tramer. You know, uh, he was wearing a dumb mask and he was a bit drunk. <laughs> so you gotta think of this this poor kid. He's he's probably a bit of a loser, you know. Lori likes him. He he finds out that she's got the hots for him in the first movie. He's all excited. He goes to a party. He gets drunk, and then he goes trick or treating. He's like seventeen years old. <laughs> they, yeah, they, they would say he's seventeen and two. <laughs> yeah. And then just out of nowhere, this this fucking maniac <laughs> just <laughs> comes up, just running and screaming at him with a gun. Yeah. He's like, oh shit! He goes and crosses the street where this obviously drunk police officer is going like 80 miles an hour in the middle of suburbia heading towards a van. I, if, if Ben Tramer was there, he was probably still going to hit that van and it explodes immediately. Just, just giant ball of flames. Like they come out of nowhere. That's not how any of that works, but it's just like the car immediately immolates 
and this kid is burned alive after being, you know, smashed in half. You you just know that the Haddonfield PD like swept that under the rug. They just probably said, "Yeah, this is another victim of Michael Myers." This yeah, is- <laughs> because there's there's no way to to get out of that. <laughs> like it was it was absolutely ludicrous, and it came from nowhere, and and it made me burst out laughing, as a number of other moments did. But that one was probably the highlight of of so insane. It's it's beautiful. It's it's astounding. It's just <laughs> there's a couple other things that kind of don't make sense in terms of just how the town is now. I I, I just like I feel like it's lost since Haddonfield has of its identity. Mm-hmm. They try and continue to have the small town vibe where everyone mm-hmm. knows who everyone is. Like in the very beginning, everyone's like like the 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 paramedics recognize Lori and they they all know her from these connections. But at the same time, they have this giant hospital in this town where apparently everybody knows each other. I'm like, this doesn't seem to make sense. Like this does this doesn't quite add up. Why is this hospital so big? You would think it'd be like a small little, you know, center or like 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 a like a two floor, you know, hospital building max. Mm-hmm. But no, it's but- it's like a it's like a you know 10 story building. <laughs> It's it's enough for Michael to slowly walk around for hours while he can't find uh, his victim. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, let's see. What was I? Gonna... Oh, um, you, you mentioned Dean Cundy, and yes. I just I just read a blurb. I did not know this. Um, you all wish that you had a bro in your life like Dean Cundy because apparently Dean Cundy turned down Poltergeist to shoot this movie out of loyalty to John Carpenter. Wow. What Incredible. a deal. Yeah. To, to work with uh, Hooper and Spielberg on a big project like that. Now, granted, he, he hooked up, hooked up Spielberg. He hooked up with Spielberg uh, a few years later, I think, uh, <laughs> with Back to the Future, and then eventually shot Hook in uh, Jurassic Park. But it's probably a good thing, because if he shot Poltergeist, he might not have been there for the thing. That's so. true. Yeah. Because that was around the same time frame too. Yeah, but you mentioned the uh, the gore and stuff, and you know, like I said, it's kind of like there was an arms race. Um, Rick Rosenthal, who Carpenter hired to direct this, his uh, first cut, he called it more of a thriller. He didn't even say it was a slasher, which it probably was a fucking slasher. And uh, Carpenter saw it and said it was about as scary as an episode of Quincy. Now, I haven't seen the show Quincy, but I imagine it wasn't that scary. <laughs> so Carpenter then took Cundy and everything and went and shot most of the gorier moments that are in the film. Oh, wow. And so it's, took it's, over. It, it's kind of interesting because I, I think I read that somewhere, probably from your wonderful piece on Halloween 2, which you wrote. Um, mm. But... Uh, I uh, when watching, I didn't notice any like disparate parts where it felt like this was definitely tacked on, you know, as a, as like a kill moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it all felt pretty naturally integrated, which I guess is a a uh, plus for Carpenter as a director there, kind of taking the helm. Uh, particularly like that, I guess, which the the goriest one, at least for me, was like the the hot tub one, the or the re- relaxing tub. I don't know what the fuck they call it, but um, <laughs> it, uh, again, what I thought was the second best kill of the film um it yeah it didn't feel like unfounded because you had some actual characters there and you were building towards that moment it felt like and i think that's why i felt satisfied with it even though it is Mm. entirely like kind of like just exploitative you know like you know uh you know slasher garbage Mm -hmm. but yeah like you said with the characters they're probably uh they have the most personality out of most of the characters in the movie yeah. and 
I couldn't tell you their names, but you know, one of one of them's Bud, and Mm -hmm. he's a total sleazeball. You know that if he was here today, he'd be the kind you know saying a, you know, like he says in the movie, uh, everybody's freaking out over this Michael Myers crap. He'd be like, everybody's freaking out over this COVID nineteen crap and stuff. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just just who he is, and he's just there to. They'll bring him back for the sequel for for Halloween Ends for that line. (laughs) They probably will. (laughs) It's a good time, but yeah, he's just there to be a sleazeball but you know he's entertainingly sleazy yeah, i mean he's a, he's a character at least he's somebody yeah. in movie who's doing something on his own it's it's, it's something resembling substance <laughs> yeah like even his his buddy jimmy who, who's basically just there to be a creep yeah he's he's, he's really all over like Lori, there's like the, I, everyone's trying to get him out of her room when she's just trying to rest and recover. <laughs> she's just like she's knocked out on pain meds. And he's just going in and caressing her hand. <laughs> and, and it feels like it feels like the script is trying to like you know like shove in like a romance element there that it doesn't even like fully like commit to. I don't know. It's it's very weird. His, him, you know, just kind of shoved into the film there. <laughs> It's a lot of that in the film and a lot of script problems, a lot of feeling like, well, the first film never needed expansion to to begin with. I think that's the greatest sin of all is just following Halloween. Yeah. Which is the, one of the greatest slashers, no matter how you cut it, get it. Yeah. Um, It's, it's never had a sequel to begin with. And somehow we're at like a, a a ridiculous amount that should have never existed. (laughs) But this, I don't know. In some ways I I'm kind of, more looking forward to some of the worst ones like i'm like at least like the thorn stuff sounds like interestingly stupid like this just has nothing there's like i don't, I don't think you'll think movie. it's interestingly stupid when you see it but I, i'm just it, guessing it, yeah from, i mean so am i but like at this moment like i'm like i'm i'm so hungry for for some kind of substance here that i will take you know, bad shit uh, over mm. nothingness. I mean, I don't so, think you'll find it more substantial than Michael and Lori being related. I think that... Yeah, well, that's <laughs> that, I guess that's the thing. That's the connective tissue here, where th- that the, that whole plot line capitalizes off of what this film doesn't, because even the infamous twist that it implements here, it does nothing with at all. Zero. Like, it's, it's almost in like a discarded line. Like someone just like th- <laughs> throws it away in, in the seat and then, then we're on to the next thing. That's it has no problem, consequence. Right? I think the problem is like yeah. giving him a motive, like really takes something away mm. from his actions. Like uh, giving I, the shape oh, like a, a physical motive is really disturbing. I mean, it's not disturbing yeah, in a good way, but for the, for the production of the film, it's not productive. See, it completely I, I, fucks with the first movie, you know, like, uh, and it really makes, you know, the scene where Lori just happens to drop the keys off at his house, just so contrived if, you know, he was going to chase her anyway. And just throws out that, you know, that element of chance that, you know, the first one had, it just demystifies him. I, I think I would feel that same way more strongly if I felt like the film committed to that idea at all. Like, mm-hmm. I almost, I almost missed the line just because it's so like kind of, casually discarded there and then just like entirely unimportant from there on like i felt as little impact then but like yeah if i try and sit down and think about it and connect it then yeah obviously it completely undermines the motivation and the the horror and the you know the idea behind michael myers being this senseless unmotivated ununderstandable killer you know like now he has a very clear motivation that you gave him you know and again like retro you know retroactively for the first film and entirely kills what was 
terrifying about him there. Again, why am I then, as someone, I shouldn't be scared of Michael Myers. He's not going to get me because I'm not related to him. You know, I'm not his sister, so, uh, you know, and I'm not anywhere near there. So it's, he he becomes toothless, effectively. Yeah, it's amazing. Just, I think it's the greatest example to show just how desperate Carpenter was when writing the script. You know, uh, he's been on the record saying that he wrote it with a six-pack of beer a night, and it's obvious that he just watched The Empire Strikes Back and was like, oh, I'll hawk that. And <laughs> just to try to give some, you know, something for people to talk about. And, and like you said, it doesn't change the film one iota. Like, Lori doesn't even acknowledge it. That's I don't problem. think she learns it. retroactively it hurts the last film. It doesn't help this one whatsoever. Like, it, it doesn't add anything. I mean, I'm and, glad and they it's, threw it out later, right? It's it's executed so poorly as well. Like it, they at least could have given it some like like gravitas or importance in the in the delivery of it. Like I said, I almost missed it. You know, it, it happened just so off off the cuff, and then it was gone, and it was you know onto the next scene, and then we just have to go beat Michael. And I, like I said, I'm, I'm pretty sure Lori doesn't even learn. Like she doesn't know, does yes. she? <laughs> no, the only thing she says is his name, which you know she learned who who was after earlier in the movie, and that's it. She has a weird dream sequence that I think they're trying to tie that into, but, you know, she does not verbally indicate one way or another, but it's, it's crazy just how something that's so throwaway, it drives the rest of the series, like at least up until <laughs> David Gordon Green, because the, the rest of the movies, that's, that's all they're about. Like in, <laughs> in this choose your adventure book known as the Halloween series, um, <laughs> The, the only one with Jamie Lee Curtis that, uh, you know, gives any thought towards this twist is H2O. Mm-hmm. And, that, and you know, that's why I like H2O, you know, to set aside. It's, it does something with that familial connection. But yeah, the rest of them, it just, uh, like, even the Curse of Thorn, like, you'll find out it's a curse where you have to go after your family members and stuff like that. <laughs> Yeah, again, my, my, my only no knowledge of the series going forward is based on the, the articles you wrote and, and the depths at which you talk and the, the 2 a.m. phone calls you often bother me with to tell me, you know, and say shit <laughs> about the Halloween series. Dude, I was just watching Halloween last night. I feel like if you, if you think about this angle. <laughs> yeah, just trying to find new ways to justify your, your obsession with these this mediocre franchise. But yeah, from, from what I've cobbled together... Uh, uh, there, it, it at least seems like I don't know. Sorry, I guess, probably not a good sum. I guess I'll see eventually when we get there. Um, I, I know that's not our, our our next plan. It'll probably be a while before we get to the foreign bullshit. But yeah, here here it's just it's so vapid. It's so empty. And like I said, I almost like it can't be upset about it because the film doesn't even give a shit enough to give it any kind of importance. Mm. It's just it's said and it's gone. Yeah, Carpenter's basically disowned it, you know, and. Has tried to move away from it, you know. I get, I can see why. But that, that being said, I don't hate the movie. It's no, it's, I, it's too nothing to hate, you know. And there's I, a actually, couple, there's a couple of good things enough to, I don't know, like like casually kind of enjoy it. I, I definitely was not engaged the entire time watching, but there were a few moments I was like, oh, that was, that was technically pretty good. I like, you know, or like the lighting or whatnot. But like, you know, it's. There's there's no substance to this movie whatsoever. I was I was kind of gobsmacked by how just empty it was. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm actually like positive on it overall. It was the first Halloween movie I ever watched completely all the way through, and like I have a lot of nostalgia towards it. And 
looking at it objectively, you know, I can tear it apart. But if I just focus on those positive aspects, you know, it's all on the technical side. Just, I, I believe it's, it's, it like later films in the series um, are still chasing how good this movie looks technically, you know, well, it's ch- they're chasing the first one, but you know, they're, they're, they're way behind what even Halloween two accomplishes. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's like, we'll have the opposite problem of, uh, you know, maybe they'll have an idea creatively uh, on script, but um, just can't put it together with the direction and stuff. Whereas Rosenthal does an admirable job of trying to emulate Carpenter style from the first movie. Yeah, there's nothing that really stands out to me, uh, like like a like a specific moment visually or anything. I guess the the, the chase scene with him and Corey, uh, that, yeah, that's that's perfect. That's got fun. a pretty good tension to it. Yeah, like like if I look at it as an isolated sequence, I'm like, ah, oh, this is very well done. I there are there are moments of just like adequateness, which don't always carry in like the Friday Halloween sequels, like this brand of slasher. It doesn't always get up to this point again. So while we're here at this median mm-hmm. of uh, quality i think we're it's okay to say that this is fine um it's yeah, not the worst yeah. this will ever get it's not the worst uh horror movie has been the last two weeks there's been a worse halloween that came <laughs> out so i feel like though like i said you said this is your first jesse what, what was your first one calvin i gotta know oh original halloween was my first uh, was it first. yeah yeah okay that that de- that debunks my theory then i, I had a feeling that H2O. if you were going to be a big proponent of the franchise then you would have had to watch one of the sequels first. But if the first film was your first, like, I don't know, then I don't know how you're settling for such mediocrity or, or, or <laughs> what's the greater appeal here that you want to watch any of these again. I'm sure I could have watched them closer together though. I'm sure like once I was old enough, one says, you know, maybe I, maybe it was around. But maybe, H2O. maybe it was, if you were young enough, then, then I could see how these kind of bleed together. Then like, you oh, can't decipher. Sure. Like, yeah, I, you can't I decipher how four it. is different from one in yeah. terms of like quality. Like, like maybe you see things of one is better, but they're they're still part of like the same bundle as opposed to being like so vastly apart in quality now. I don't mm. think I got yep. into it to like the H two O era, so I think your theory still holds up that uh, I kind of found them all in one uh, uh, block of TV programming or something or VHS Reynolds. Mm-hmm. So it's possible. Yeah, I remember being like 10 years old and going on the internet. And that was like the first, uh, you know, film websites I was going to was for Halloween movies. And you're was, still there. And, and I'm still there. <laughs> and those people were fucking crazy. But, uh, but yeah, that was when, you know, H2O came out. Um, I guess technically the first Halloween I started watching was the first one, but it scared me and I turned it off. <laughs> and then saw Halloween 2. And once I saw Halloween 2 all the way through, you know, it shows the ending to the first one. I was mm-hmm. like, well, maybe I can make it through it. I still couldn't at the time. But, uh, but yeah, talking about like a, like the chase scene you mentioned, like on paper, I feel like that sequence is ridiculous. You know, like <laughs> Myers is, is going um, like one mile an hour the entire time. He, sometimes he is just like one foot away from her. But because of, you know, it's, it's shot fine. And Carpenter's score, particularly in that moment, I love what he does with Thing. it's uh it has this full-on assault on the senses approach where he keeps finding some way to escalate it like once you think he can't just ramp it up anymore it just gets to where it's almost like piercing your ears and i feel like that's why that sequence works for me yeah just because of the music the score is definitely the biggest highlight than the, the cinematography i would say right underneath it um 
But yeah, it, I, I certainly see what you mean with the rid- ridiculousness. He he does become kind of like a, a a a monolith in how he moves here. Like he's less human. Like I think he gets some reaction, like like actual human reactions towards the end when he gets shot some more. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. he, he, he's still. So I guess that leads me to the next question. Do you? Can you guys pinpoint the moment where Michael stops being like a human antagonist in the series where he definitely becomes like this guy is obviously supernatural, like no, no human being in any context, you know, would would be able to, you know, like do the things mm. he's doing. It depends on which uh, continuity you want to go down when it comes oh, to gosh. this one. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's that's actually a big part of Halloween kills, you know, at, mm-hmm. at the end of the movie. It, it addresses that. And fumbles it, fucking idiots. But there's an explanation for for how he can take twelve no, bullets it, in a single night and, and still it, get up. It doesn't. It, it doesn't try to explain anything. Um, they they don't they don't fuck that up. But they they address you know the ambiguity that came from the first movie. You know, is yeah. a human that's doing these extraordinary things. But in Halloween two, like I feel like the veil's been lifted right away. He's <laughs> he's he's closer to um like the the entity from it follows almost you know just this slow walking death that nothing mm-hmm. can stop him i kind of like that um, about halloween too by the way that slow moving death of it all it, it, I think, it, it's it, not it, a horrible part of it it works yeah, like he, i think it works yeah like he's he, it's definitely not what nick castle did with the character you know it's not the shape in my yeah. mind no there, but, there's, a, there's a more human quality to him and these yeah. kind of quirks that he has in the first one that kind of create this sense of he's like a vessel of of un, you know unstoppable evil but still a a human embodiment of that like these this is uh unstoppable human evil whereas in two it definitely feels more like an ambiguous you know supernaturalish kind of evil but, that he embodies and especially when he survives getting his head chopped off later on i think that's uh, <laughs> <laughs> no what you'll have to see it but yeah I, uh, I mean i'm already i'm already flabbergasted that you know he took he took six bullets in a single night and, and it was like entirely unfazed. Like I could believe it at the end of the first one, like, because again, it ends in that six ambiguous times. way. Yeah. He gets, <laughs> he gets shot a bunch and then he gets up. And, but, but again, because we don't know where he went, I'm like, maybe he's off just like recovering somewhere. You know, he's, mm-hmm. he's still exasperated. I can believe that. But the fact that he kept his rampage going after taking all those bullets, then gets shot again later on in the night and still gets up you know and immediately and keeps going like it's just like all logic is out the window like far far beyond that point yeah maybe i wish gardner like retroactively would have maybe made that a part of the movie you know like some ascension to something else for him but uh as he stands i still i still like dick warlock's uh the way he plays myers just uh you know it's something opposite from what i see what the character is and dick warlock he he was a Stunt man, he shows up in a lot of carpenter flicks. He's the uh, he's one of the androids from Halloween three. Oh, I love those. Yeah, the 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 blonde, you know. Is he like the the first one who who sets himself on fire in the beginning? He doesn't, he doesn't set himself on fire, but I'm pretty sure he he's the one who kills somebody with with his hands. You know, mm, later okay. on in the movie. But uh, yeah, he and uh, he they still have the mask in this one, which is nice because later on, once we get down the line, <laughs> you'll be like. What the fuck happened with the mask in this movie? Uh, I, I've seen some of them. This one does look kind of rough, but it sounds like it's rough from yeah. age. It's the same mask, isn't it? it? It's it's the same mask. Like Nick Castle took it home after Halloween, and Deborah Hill had asked if they could use it for this, and he said, "Yeah, just give it back to me." She's like, "Oh, sure." And uh, 
they take that and they take some of the stunt mask from the last one as well. The stunt mask get burned at the end of the movie, which uh, there's like a mask community online. Like I'm telling you, these people are fucking <laughs> Jesus Christ. But but they know so much. Like they they get like CSI like <laughs> type of <laughs> take like doing enhancements on pictures, being like, this is the stunt mask. You can tell because of this blemish up here and stuff. <laughs> and uh, the the blood tears mask is what they'll call it, and that one. Oh burns, right, but... I, for, I forgot about that part. He gets shot in the eyeballs and is still alive. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, if if you look in HD, you can tell that his eyes are actually shut because you see his eyelashes and the blood's running from above. But the you know in the script, you're supposed to take and they shot in the eyes, of course. Yeah, uh, again, again, defying all logic that you would survive. Like the bullet just stops at your eyeballs. Apparently, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And, uh, but what what really rack your brain is how is he able to see in the next one? <laughs> <laughs> Why doesn't he have more burns? Like he is burnt to a like a fucking burnt piece of bacon at at the end of this. Did, like, did they address that in kills as well? Because he's I mean it ends similarly. He ends in an inferno in in the twenty eighteen movie. Yeah, kills. They actually um, they actually showed you how he could somewhat. You know, it you still got to suspend your disbelief a little bit. You know, it's that ambiguity. But uh, I, I don't know it. why they wrote themselves into a corner like that. They knew they were going to make other movies, and yet they still wrote like an impossible like escape scenario for him. <laughs> he 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 goes and takes refuge in the in the gun safe, Lori's gun safe downstairs. Ah, oh, the the gun safe that they, mm. they showed us so obviously. Uh-huh. Now anybody else would die, of course, just <laughs> yeah. smoke smoke inhalation. But right. and he he gets singed on like one side of his face. But yeah, it's not That's like. It. A, <laughs> <laughs> through, through the mask because i assume the mask is perfectly fine uh no the mask is burnt on one side and uh he's actually his but face still is intact burnt. right like they didn't like the mask isn't burned away like we're not seeing like he's not no. like phantom of the opera now is he no. it's getting pretty haggard though that mask it's, <laughs> it's pretty worn by kills yeah um but yeah it's not like uh in, in like Halloween four, which, you know, it's obvious when Carpenter made this, he thought he was killing the character for good and they can go do these anthology flicks. And in an alternate universe, we're on like Halloween 23 and they're all awesome, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, of course three shit the bed. Uh, actually it wasn't even that bad. Like box office wise, it wasn't a success compared to like the first two, but it's ironic that once they bring the character back in Halloween four, that, it, it wasn't that much more successful than three, but they deemed it a success, you know? And, uh, but of course, in that movie, he's got a few burns on his hands and Loomis isn't dead either. I told you this. Though. <laughs> yeah, that's, you, that, was, that was a big comical part of, of the two finale there. He's like, no, I must, I must sacrifice myself to kill Michael. And he, yeah. he says you, you some said, stupid line. You said Loomis didn't have to go out like that. I said, don't worry. <laughs> He, he comes I, I, back. He, he's got like one little burn on his on his face and a couple on his hands. That's it. Look on on the flip side. I'll be happy that Donald Pleasance is back at least because again he's always good at least in things like. It I, might be I all you have to be happy about later. Yeah. So he, hold on to he's, that. Thought. He's the highlight of the the Thorn Saga. <laughs> That's sure. literally all you have. So <laughs> really hold on to those thoughts. But uh, I guess about. I have one more positive thing to talk about the technical. I like the the opening POV with Myers where he uh, steals the knife from uh, the neighbors and stuff. It uh, it has this really cool like split die after shot, you know, where it has him in the mm-hmm. background and stuff. And 
I feel like that's what a lot of these new movies are missing. You know, more of those creepy moments where he's off in the background. And, you know, Halloween yeah. got so much mileage out of it. That's that's definitely something I noticed as well about this sequel as opposed to the first one is that there's very little of Michael just hanging around. Again, it's just a rampage. He's just he's still going. He's still seeking. He's like he's just like on a mission, like, you know, single minded. There's there's so much of the first film that's just like scoping out, just like hanging around. He's outside the school. He's in the clothesline. Mm -hmm. He's driving around just following, you know, he's he's just like being real weird, creepy. And there's none of that here. Mm -hmm. It's just it's. Um, it's murder they, stuff they, yeah they lose that even in the last one which i like you know you're supposed to take like he was doing that off screen but it's not really shown because they they had so many ideas for that movie they had to it's just over stuff but in kills it's just rampage after rampage after rampage it's, it's it sounds like kills is very much the the deserving successor to 18 in in the same vein as halloween 2 is you know yeah it's <laughs> it makes the a lot of the same mistakes it's kind of astounding you know it takes takes place directly after they both take Lori and put her into a bed you know and try to put it on all these supporting characters that don't have any personality i wonder i wonder what jamie lee curtis thinks of this having like come back to the fold for for the second or for the third time here uh and and again feeling like like do you think she's just racked with deja vu doing like these same exact things like 40 years down the line I don't know what this is also yeah. this is this is also 40 years it's this is the 40th anniversary of Halloween 2 mm-hmm he had a long and time it, off in between them so maybe she's okay I'm yeah. sure it's like Carpenter she's getting the paycheck and um it's what people yeah. recognize her for uh, that must be nice uh to be recognized yeah. for something as good as your first Halloween and mm-hmm. as bad as the other ones I mean I'd be fine <laughs> with it as long as it's a horror movie you know at least get recognized yeah. for bad horror if you're going to be recognized for bad movies. I guess. I, like, I don't know. <laughs> I'd like to be helping for the next one just because it's, you know, going to be more focused on her again. But I don't know. Uh, publicly, you know, she's very positive about it all. She but, says the ending is brilliant of Halloween Kills. Which I think I she, that was interesting uh, of her. I, I saw it, her in her it, interview call it a masterpiece, <laughs> yep. which which just feels like you're over committing to the marketing here. Like I appreciate mm-hmm. the hustle, JV, but I mean, come on, let's let's be a little realistic here. <laughs> I'll say the ending to Kills was possibly brilliant on paper before they butchered it. <laughs> yeah, it sounded like that, it was pretty promising initially. That's that's sound. That's for another podcast, eight years down the line or so. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, thank you guys. Uh, thanks for coming on, Jesse. Uh, next year, we'll have you back for another Radiohead album, and maybe how. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to this, uh, despite all of the reservations. Uh, yeah. like, like I said, I, I enjoyed this, but also felt very underwhelmed at the same time. And again, I, I had adjusted expectations going in, but it was still like I was, I was very shocked by how empty this whole whole deal was <laughs> just just you wait you'll be pining for halloween too here in a few years You're like oh god can we please just go back to, to that mediocrity of halloween too what the fuck is this oh oh i'm no, no I'm, I'm sticking i'm sticking to what i said i'm looking forward to thorn bullshit i'm i'm yeah i'm having a positive outlook on this it's gonna be dumb fun i'm mm-hmm. i'm i'm positive mindset looking forward i'm gonna will it into existence i'm going to enjoy the sequels <laughs> i kind of mentioned it in our combo earlier but you know we're either gonna go finish the the sister storyline or go to thorn next we got a whole year to the side yeah 
you know, it's time for the choose your adventure book portion of the Halloween series. <laughs> We're just going to go all over the fucking place. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thanks again, Jesse, of course, for coming on. Maybe eventually we'll get you for something other than Halloween, but, uh, you know, maybe we'll just stick to this too. Maybe we'll put you back in the Halloween closet for the year. Maybe, like I said, it's a curse. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll summon you out of your, your tomb around this time next year. Just uh, put that down on your date book. Well, thanks for having me on, guys. We need to bring you and Graham on for Big Trouble in Little China or something. Just have like a four-person show. Uh, yeah, so some kind of big big style John Carpenter podcast. I think having both of your personalities here would be really good for that. I don't know if we've ever been in the same place at the same time. I'm not, so... I'm not convinced that you're not the same person still. <laughs> I'm I'm not. Mm, but it'd, it'd be worth a shot. Could get interesting. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Well, there, there's a lot on the horizon for the Twin Geeks going forward. We'll, we'll, we'll be gone for a little bit, but when we're back, we'll be back in, in full swing and yeah, maybe in different form, but it'll still be the Twin Geeks. Until then, thanks everyone for tuning in this week. Make sure, as always, to check out our website, thetwingeeks.com, for our latest reviews, retrospectives, and features. You can follow us on Twitter as well, at the Twin Geeks, and individually, at Calvin Kempf and at David A. Punch. Don't forget to sec- check out our sister video game show, The Daydream Cast, with Pavlos and Brogan, as well as our other sister show, Ranking the Monsters, with uh, Steven and Calvin, and... Oh, now we have more shows, right? Are those ones coming up? Uh, the spoilers. Uh, I'm thinking of spoiling things with Vaughn and Stephen. And now we have a, a music show, which Calvin mentioned the title of, and I don't remember. Three All letters right. and five mics. That's Three right. letters and five mics. We probably also have uh, a, a show <laughs> <laughs> about, you know, weird real life mysteries like like, like a, a mystery solving team show somewhere out there, I imagine. There's also Radio a cooking podcast, podcast coming. Yeah, we have, we have all sorts of uh, interesting things that I don't even know about yet. <laughs> Anything and everything here on the Twin Geeks cast. <laughs> uh, please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere you see those places. Some other new sh- new podcaster we don't know about too. And uh, we'll see you again in the future for another conversation on classic and contemporary cinema. Conversations and I post them online for entertainment. It's nice to know at least you listen to the show because it's quite the possibility that nobody is listening to me in this modern world. Things have changed, everybody's entertaining. Who's being entertained? Thank you for listening. Mine out of all the voices.